1: so tall I had so tall for the first time just I don't know like a week and a half maybe 2 weeks ago with my friend Ben Ben Mintz. reading now from the texasstandard.org so tall isn't nearly as popular in the US as other mexican spirits like tequila or mezcal that's changing though in part because texas distillers have started to make so tall themselves and some mexican sotoleros are worried about what that means for the future of their business. Joining me on the line right now is Ben Mintz, James Beard Award finalist, food and beverage writer, my friend and yours. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time today. Thanks for having me, Yeah, I'm really glad you're here, man. Okay, so start us out at the beginning. I've done a pretty bad job of explaining what Sotol is. Can you help out here?
0: Sure. Uh, Basically, basically Sotol is a... Sister, cousin of tequila or mezcal. It's a Mexican spirit uh, made from cactus. Uh, the flavor is generally very, very similar to a, uh, a mezcal or a tequila. Um, a little, little bit more nuanced depending where it's from. And it's one of, there are about 12 spirits that come out of Mexico that are in this greater mezcal family. We mainly just know uh, mezcal and tequila, but there's Sotol, Raxia, right? uh, Bacanora, so on and so forth. Wow.
1: Okay, great. And what is Sotol's significance
0: in Mexican culture? It depends who you ask. Uh, Sotol in Mexican uh, culture, is, uh, it's particularly popular in the north of Mexico. Uh, Sotol, along with most of these cactuses still it tend to be kind of a blue-collar, working-class drink, historically. In the last few years, they've become real popular. You see them in places like Mexico City. But historically, if you went to the, the major urban centers, specifically you know, Mexico City, people there would drink wine, brandy, um, Sotal, Mezcal, Tequila, were a little bit more rural drinks. Uh, so sotol is, is from three regions in North Mexico, and it's sort of a it's, sort of an indigenous thing for a very long time. It was made small batch and it was sort of like bring it to your, uh, yeah, you bring it to your, your cousin's wedding, right? And take your, your whole production for the year, <laughs> kind of share it with wow. your neighbors and your cousins. Cool.
1: Okay, great. Thank you for that. All right. So the big debate here is centered around the denomination of origin for so Can you explain what that means? The denomination of origin?
0: Sure, we're just going to call it a, a D.O. for short, sure. uh, so we, we don't have long words. Uh, <laughs> D.O.'s are basically used to protect spirits or agricultural pro- products, uh, typically from specific areas. So the, the two that your listeners might be most familiar with are champagne and scotch, right? So scotch is whiskey, but scotch is whiskey that's specifically made in Scotland according to You know, certain prescribed practices. Uh, Another one would be champagne. I'm sure many of you all have heard that old joke. You know, it's it's just sparkling wine. Uh, Champagne must be made in the Champagne district of France. Otherwise, it is. Right. I
1: I, it's just sparkling. I remember that scene from Wayne's World, right, where he's up there with Rob Lowe. Exactly. And Cassandra's (laughs) like, "I've never had French champagne before," and Rob Lowe says, "Well, actually, all champagne is French. If if you're drinking a sparkling wine that's not from the Champagne region of France, you're not allowed to call that champagne." And that's because of the D.O. Right, the Denomination of Origin. You cannot call that champagne unless those grapes were grown in the Champagne region of France.
0: Correct. Okay, party audience, gotcha.
1: yes. Okay, great. So the DOs that we're familiar with here are Scotch, um, because you can. So what's the difference between like whiskey with a Y and whiskey
0: with an EY? Is that part of the deal here? Right, that is that is part of the deal. Uh, whiskey with an EY is not Scotch. Whiskey with just the Y is Scotch. Gotcha. Uh, you if you try to make a whiskey in the United States um, and you misspell it. The Scotchway, uh, a very powerful international law firm, will send you a cease and desist letter, wow. and you will probably not be uh, selling your whiskey labeled as such very much longer. Yeah, uh, very, very tightly enforced. But the uh, the key element there that we'll get into with the the Mexicans is we have treaties with the European Union and the UK protect their denomination of origin, right? So the only reason they are allowed to file that lawsuit in U.S. court is because U.S. laws have uh, protected Scotch along with EU laws. I see. Okay.
1: So why then are Mexican sotoleros and activists, why are they concerned
0: about the production of SOTOL in Texas? Okay. So basically, in Mexico, they've created this DO. But again, the DO doesn't, that protects SOTAL, right? SOTAL must be made in one to three states. It must be distilled from a specific cactus, so on and so forth. Uh, but, you know, Mexican laws uh, don't work in the United States. If they are the laws of Mexico, not the laws of the U.S. Right. So we must have a corresponding law uh, that allows enforcement. The United States does not really have a, well, we do not have a corresponding law. We tried, you know, when we first negotiated reciprocal protections with Mexico was uh, the NAFTA treaty, right? Which many of us may remember. I remember uh, that. true. Yeah, big Big fun times during the Clinton administration. Yeah, I, I had to write uh,
1: like a multi-page essay about NAFTA in fourth grade, which in retrospect think, seems psychotic. I was nine years old. You want me to write a multi-page essay about the North American Free Trade Agreement? Are you kidding me?
0: I think it's made you the educated man you are
1: now. I guess it worked. Thanks, Ms. Coos. Appreciate it. Okay, so uh, when we're negotiating uh, NAFTA in the mid-90s, Go on. No one
0: had heard of no one had heard of sotol. In fact, sotol at that point in Mexico was so regional that it was not legal across all of Mexico. It was almost like a moonshine. Now, in the time since then, uh, sotol has become much more popular. And a few years ago, uh, when President Trump went to renegotiate the NAFTA deal into what is now called. Uh, USMCT, United States, Mexico, Canada Trade Agreement, MCTA. right? Um, At this point, SOTAL and these, you know, the 10 other spirits from Mexico, the 10 other cactus distillates are not Mezcal or tequila. They have become a lot more popular. So those distillers said, you know, hey, guys, while you're negotiating this, can we be protected in the United States? Like mezcal and tequila is, um, and they negotiated that into the USMCTA. Now I don't know if you remember, but that was a big critical priority for the Trump administration. Yes. So they, uh, you know, they really, they really wanted to get this done, and they didn't want to waste too much time on it. They uh, included those protections, and then uh, about a week before, before the Senate was set to ratify that, uh, John Cornyn. Nine. Uh, yes, Cornyn, Cornyn. He, yeah, uh, he came out at the last minute. He represents Texas, and he put a hold on the entire USMCTA over protection, specifically for Sotol. Uh, that being a big political priority for the administration, you know, they basically told him we've never we've never heard of this weird Mexican spirit. But you're holding up our you know, you're holding up our trademark piece of of uh, you know action for this administration over this, this obscure Mexican spirit that we've never heard of. We'll take it out of the treaty. Let's you know, let's get this let's get this done. What do you need to move forward? You know, we, we don't want to do it out. So they uh, they removed it from the, the Sotol and all spirits that are uh, not Mexico or tequila mm-hmm. uh, made in Mexico are not recognized as those DOs are not recognized in the United States in the final draft. So while I cannot, if I go to Mexico and I make SOTAL in Mexico City, for example, which is not one of the three states, uh, that's illegal. And I will get sued and my distillery will be shut down. But if I do it in the United States and I sell it in the U.S., so or in Canada, that is perfectly fine because there's no there's no method for enforcement of that do in the U S. Okay, that was a mouthful. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, I, let me think. I I think yeah, it makes sense. Let me see. So, these guys in northern Mexico, they make the SOTOL and it's it's got the do. And then when they're renegotiating the trade agreement, John Cornyn says, well, we don't agree to this. So now people in the United States can make so tall. They can call it so tall and they can sell that inside the U.S. So now the Mexican distillers have to compete with American distillers. And the Mexican guys are like, well, wait, you know, this was this is our thing. Like this is our champagne. This is our bourbon county, you know, whiskey like this this is not fair to us. And then at the same time, we do not any longer enforce the DO going in the other direction. So now there's distillers in Mexico that can make bourbon and sell it in the U.S. and call it bourbon, even though it's made without any of the traditional ways that, that people in America have made bourbon, right?
0: Right. So okay. basically what happened is there were wide protections for American whiskey in Mexico, and there were wide protections for Mexican you know, Mexican cactus distillates in the U.S. So when they dropped those wide protections on the cactus distillates and they made it just mezcal and tequila, the, uh, the Mexicans said, well, if you're removing this from the treaty, you know, tit for tat, we want to remove some of your protections. So they went after the American whiskey category, and there are still some elements of American whiskey that are protected in Mexico. Uh, but very, you know, so I'm accurate here. Very specifically, things like like rye, for example, yeah. is specifically was dropped in, in response to them dropping Sotol and and Ricea and these other Mexican distillates. The Mexicans said, you know, okay. Well, anyone can make rye in Mexico now. So what we're starting to see is, you know, it takes a few years to age whiskey. And this happened a few years ago. So now in the last 12 months, four, you know, 24 months, uh, these these whiskeys are starting to come to maturity. They'll come out of Mexico, and they're starting to hit the market. So if you go to your local liquor store, I believe, I believe Martin Brothers, E.P. Co., you'll uh, you'll start seeing Mexican whiskeys, American-style whiskeys, wow. ryes, that are all made in Mexico. And some of them are uh, some are quite good. There's uh, a company called Absolo, uh, Sierra Norte. Uh, the Mexicans have kind of taken their own spin on the whiskey, which has never been really a part of their culture, but uh, corn. Corn is a, a huge part of Mexican culture right. going back thousands of years. And corn happens to be a, uh, a key ingredient in many whiskeys. You know, there's not too much of it in rye. You know, rye is mainly made with rye, uh, naturally. Not, not surprisingly. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so the Mexicans, uh, a lot of them, a lot of the better stores out there have uh, you know taken these sort of heritage grains of corn that they you know trace back to to Mayans and they started regrowing them, and they're using them for distillation. Cool. They're actually making some real interesting stuff. That is and mind you, yeah. Right? And, of course, in any place in the world, you're going to find opportunists. So, you know, there are also some of the stories there. They're just making very, uh, you know, very cheap, uh, very low-grade whiskey, and they're selling it. they're selling it, you know, as something yeah. that, we think is a little bit more expensive mm-hmm. because there's no DO protecting what you know what is rye, for example.
1: So then it must be true that distillers in America probably do not want this competition from this Mexican bourbon. They must be pretty mad at John Cornyn for doing this.
0: Yeah, I I think that there's a little bit of a I think there's a little bit of a stratification, right? Where you have you have larger distillers and both Mexico and the United States are relatively unfazed by it, okay. Right? Because they have so much of a market share, All right? That's not such a big deal. And frankly, you know, even on the Mexican side, on both sides, you do have distillers that are so large they sell their juice. So there are people in Texas and California making Sotal, They're not even making it; they're buying it from large distillers in Mexico and just gotcha. shipping it over and labeling it with, you know, their U.S. labels. Uh, the smaller guys, the craft independent producers on both sides of the border, are pretty unhappy about it, right? They, yeah. they have to fight a little bit more. There's a little bit more of scraping for their position. I really got
1: time for just one more question, Ben, and it's this. What, what happens next? Like, where do you see this going? Is there going to be some sort of one-off piece of legislation that, that can sort of uh, alleviate some of these concerns, or is this the kind of thing that can only be negotiated as part of a major trade package like NAFTA or the USMCTA? What happens next?
0: I think we are kind of stuck with, with this at a status quo for a while because, like you said, it, these tend to be worked out in, in larger trade negotiations, and the idea that the United States, Mexico, and Canada – are all going to sit down around the negotiating table because a bunch of independent distillers are upset is pretty, pretty slim. Now, what you might see happening is, you know, consumer sentiment moving the needle and there's definitely been, there's definitely been efforts to promote, you know, the quote unquote authentic spirits. And, you know, there are even some fledgling movements to uh, boycott, Non-authentic uh, spirits, but spirit. as you and I both know, I've sat in, sat in a few bars with you over the years. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when you're uh, sometimes when you're in a bar after a few drinks, you're not really inspecting the label of the bottle. To no, see, uh, to see, no <laughs> I'm not really worried
1: from. about that bourbon was hedgehog.
0: May yeah. I have another, please? <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, as English say, a sticky wicket. A sticky wicket.
1: Well, we'll keep an eye on this story and you keep in touch. Next time you're back in town, please let me know and we'll go back over to Peps and drink some Sotol together. How's that?
0: Yeah, sounds great. And just a little plug for Sotol. Also, if you're uptown, uh, Vowels and Cure are having on Threat Street. Um, Peps has a downtown and uh, Keith and Barn brothers all all stock, all these very
1: interesting birds. Oh, so. man. I got to get back over to Keith and Company, man. I always end up going there around Christmas time because I need my black cherry brandy, but they got great stuff in there year-round. Ben Mintz right. is a James Beard finalist, food and beverage writer. Thank you so much, man. Great talking to you. Great catching up last week. Let's not make it so long next time, okay? For sure. Take care. Thanks, Ian. Thank you, Ben. Excellent. All right. We'll come back uh, with some of your comments and questions on the Art Jewelers talking text line. This conversation has made me very thirsty for some so tall, but I'm not allowed to drink in here, which I'm not complaining. That's a good policy, but, you know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, I guess. Just keep drinking this tea. I'm in for Scoot. I'll be right back after this.